You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Joker. 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 There we go. Joker. Uh, Spoilers ahead. Uh, Just letting everybody know. Um, All right, you start. What did you think? So, um, I want to say, first and foremost, it was beautiful. Uh huh. It was breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every, yeah. The cinematography, even the, uh, the production design, the colors, beautiful. The yeah. amount of detail in what are long shots, wide shots, incredible. Absolutely yep. beautiful. Um, so that'd be my first response. Good. And I think uh, Jacqueline Phoenix's performance is as good as any voice I've heard saying how good he is. I mean, yeah. Uh, over the moon performance. How do we say his name? Is Joaquin Joaquin? I don't know. I don't know. I think. Can we find a video and find out what uh, other people are saying about it? Uh, Oh, uh, let's just look up a pronunciation. Why don't you talk about what you like? Okay, you you find that. You find that for me because I've always actually wondered. I've heard both, but I I never knew. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I 100% agree with. your, your thoughts on um, it being beautiful, absolutely. Uh, colors were the, one of the things that completely stood out to me. Costuming was just uh, extraordinary. Um, obviously, I don't feel like I have to talk about makeup. I mean, he's just kind of like, it's, it's, it's fresh. It feels like it's, it's good. Like, the makeup is a new version of the Joker that we haven't seen in, uh, you know, cartoons or animated series or, I mean, it's, it more resembles, I guess, Jack Nicholson's Joker, right? than anything else, but um, I love his take on it, and I really think that he is best. Like, I loved this movie once he actually went full Joker. You know, I had a little bit of uh, issue with it prior. Um, I don't know if you saw me checking my watch every now and then, because I was really just wondering, I'm like, okay, how are we feeling two hours with this really slow character piece, Uh, and where is it going? Where is it going to end? And once they started talking about the whole political side of things and his fascination with um, Murray. Right. I was like, and oh, he's going on the show and that's how it's ending. It's gotta be, it's gotta be that, uh, making a political statement of some sort. I would love to see this Joker face off with Batman. So that's so interesting. Here it is. I'm gonna just play this briefly. Let's see if we got some volume. Okay. So that's pretty good. <laughs> and, and, uh, go, Wait, you gotta put that back in the mic here. We I will do it. This is All a video right. we found of how to pronunciate. Okay, YouTube is a uh, wonderful place. That's amazing. Uh, so I'm gonna try one more. Um, hang on, and you can continue to um, talk. Today. I don't. I don't know if I. I not after that. Not, not <laughs> I've lost second. all thought. Oh. That's a thing. I guess so. This may be some editing now for us. Joaquin. Is that it? Uh, that. Joaquin. No, Joaquin. It's gonna say Joaquin. 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 No J. I don't know what that is. A French. I don't, I don't know. Ultimately, I don't care. I, I don't. That's not nothing against the French. Um, Joaquin. Joaquin. His performance as Joker was so much fun to see. Again, once he went full Joker, which was only like the last 30 minutes? Probably about 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wanted to see more. That would be my complaint. My only complaint really right now that I can think of off the top of my head. Other than it being slow-paced, like I was 
I was caught in like the the okay, this is not moving as fast as I, <laughs> I think they could have trimmed this thing down to be thirty minutes shorter and it still be really good. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think that um, there's some uh, we have multiple stories going on, so we have uh -huh. this question of what's real and what's not. Yes. Even at the end of the movie, we have the question what's real and what's not, and the some of that pacing ends up being about giving us time to feel like we're in a place that yeah. isn't moving quick enough to be unreal and it felt very crafty like that that you know very sort of clever and manipulative there's you know when he went and so again spoilers yeah. goes and kisses his neighbor uh and uh, I immediately was like, this is a fantasy. Yes. And then it extends from there, right? And she's present, and it makes you second-guess your own belief in that. Yeah, know? well, I, I did something similar. I didn't say it was a fantasy. I said, what? Why would she possibly agree yeah. to this? Um, so I didn't I didn't necessarily question it as, like, this is a whole thing in his head. Um, because I believed it happened once I saw her out with him. I was like, this, she must be just as crazy as he yeah. is. Um, so, yeah, and I was like, where's her daughter? Like, she doesn't look like the type of woman that's going to have babysitting money yeah, exactly. or family around. Right. So, that, so I was questioning the whole thing, but... Yeah, I thought it was clever how they did that. Did that like it, it? It made you question the rest of the film. Of am I seeing from his perspective? I oh, I am. What's real? What's not real? Right, especially because we're in third person in mm -hmm. all those moments, so we're yeah. experiencing his experience. Yep. Uh, and that was pretty fascinating. I, I, you said something before, and I just wanted to agree with you. Mm -hmm. I've heard so many things about people saying this is not a film in the DC universe, really. You know, it's right. uh, uh, it's like an elsewhere story. But it is. But it is absolutely. But it is one hundred percent, and that's because I was questioning that. The, I was like, is, is this, is this somebody who just took the concept of Joker, wrote a movie about his origin story, and it wasn't actually going to be the Joker? Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like it was going to be some other guy who's similar. Just but then like, okay, we're gonna put green dye in our hair. Okay, clearly this is the Joker. This is the same guy and the whole thing with Batman and like... No, and for sure, has, and I, I would love to see the movie where they meet. Where Batman, yes. that little boy, grows up, comes back, mm -hmm. and they meet. I would love to see that story. Yeah. Um, it feels like the movie wants to say that much of what we saw wasn't real. It feels like there's a chance that it wants to say that, which is where that that can't go, I guess. But uh, right, from right, my right. standpoint, uh, I that that's a Joker. This this Joker is a, an amazingly powerful manifestation of yes. the idea, the the real sense of anarchy, of a non-political statement. Right? right. It's not about politics. It's about you know madness and destruction. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't care who's mayor. He doesn't care about any of that. All he cares about is this crazy, chaotic version of the world that he's living in. Uh, because that, to, uh, from what I understand, from what I'm reading into this, uh, is that's when people actually show themselves to be who they really are. Um, and we get that a little bit with Heath Ledger's Joker. Heath Ledger's Joker was, I just keep hearing the line, and like it's about sending a message. Mm -hmm. He says that, I think, one or, once or twice in the, in the film uh, The Dark Knight. And... It's not about sending a message for Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. It's just about just chaos and craziness. And he does come on the show, and he does give his message, right? But 
Um, and that was the only time in the movie that I felt like this is a little forced. In, did indeed. You, did you feel that well, at all? The, the moment in the TV show feels long because the security around an event like that would have clamped down oh, that much sooner. Oh, so fast. There, there, is a, there is a lot that's happening there. And we live in like this post-9-11, post-terrorism world yeah. where we experience it different. So it's set mm-hmm. pre that, which right. is wise. Like it's a really wise yes. setting. This would not have worked in 2019. Uh, between cell phones and uh-huh. the, uh, that, the security you would have to deal yeah. with, it's impossible. But where it's set, it it's viable. But it does go, that goes really long. He has a lot of time to talk. Yeah, it does show the arrogance of uh, De Niro's yeah. host, right? Yeah. Who thinks he's what interrogating a murderer on his show. Right. It's mad. Right. Some guy tells him to cut it off, and he just just keeps, he keeps going. going. He's like ratings, ratings, ratings. This is going to be good for the show. Ultimately and, leading to his death, right? And uh, you and you know that's why you get a guy like De Niro. In the beginning, you're like, why yeah. is De Niro doing this? You're, you're uh-huh. doing it because you need someone who can do that work at the end. Yeah. Against. Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin, yeah. um, who's who's at the top of his game, now, oh, right? Yeah, That's absolutely. where he's yeah. uh, spectacular. The, there's some. Uh, I want to mention that there's a pile of images that reference other Batman movies. Uh-huh. The high angle of the Wayne's walking is a reference to an early Batman uh-huh. film. Well, and, th- and that's that's a straight up comic book panel. Oh, right? it, for like, sure. Yeah. And then there's the moment where the Joker's walking into Arkham Asylum. Yes. Oh. That is, without yep. question, the reverse shot of the um, uh, Heath Ledger. Yeah, exit coming out of the with the uh, bomb. The like bomb, there's yep. over and over we see. Mm-hmm. Little references to other yeah. Batmans. I I can't remember. There's one where I said that's absolutely from that first Batman with um, yeah uh, Jack, uh, Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. You know, over and over again, I saw versions of the Joker being played in, mm-hmm. and that means that this is this may be expanding beyond the universe that we're even talking about. It may really be a, a richer story that yeah. is encompassing those other. Yeah, well, this film. this feels clearly like a Joker who isn't facing off against Batman because let's say that Bruce Wayne does grow up becomes he, he becomes Batman right in this in this universe that we just watched, um, Joker would then be twenty years older. Yeah, twenty five maybe. I, I don't know how old we want to say Bruce is in this movie. He's probably around 10, 11. Certainly looks young. somewhere around there. So let's say he becomes Batman at the age of thirty, which I want to say is still a little young for Bruce to become Batman based on what we've seen in some other movies um but 30 i joaquin phoenix has to be at least 45 that puts him at a a 65 year old 70 year old joker at minimum which feels a little bit old for me i don't know how old jack nicholson was when he was playing when he was playing joker but feels a little bit old um something i thought of the entire film was why the hell are people still living in gotham city um because this place just seems completely horrible for every throughout every single uh, Batman depiction ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the worst city in the country. Like it has to be. Like, well, and this may no be way. the worst presentation, not the worst, the best presentation the... of its horror uh-huh. that I've seen. It, the... it is so grimy and dirty. And, and it's full of pollution, whether yeah. it's material or, or it's violence or people, or it's right? Like people. The people are polluted. We don't see even when we get to the places where the rich are, which we see just a few times, mm-hmm. still surrounding them is, you can just feel the grime and yeah. dirt and damage of the city. And the whole thing feels so much to me like a metaphor. My uh, problem is uh, I'm not sure what it wants to tell, tell me. me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I felt the same way. And and talking about the the distinction between rich and poor in this film, uh, the I the only two times I can think of that we've seen the rich in a location, Wayne Manor, right, and um, the museum, the uh, where they're watching Modern Times. Right, the, right. Those right. are the only two times I can think of. Both times there was a barrier or a, a gate or a wall yeah. or whatever it was separating the rich from the poor, which is to me what the movie wanted to really show and tell um, was this separation. Um, even coming down to the line of, uh, you know, he says at the end, he says, if I was dying on the street, you'd walk right over me. Um, we are, we are, we are not the same in a way. Um, so, yeah, like that's, I mean, the, the two times that we see the locations of the rich, it's being completely blocked off and barricaded. And the distinction of going inside uh, the museum where Modern Times is playing, it's a completely different world. It's clean, it's pristine, it's, uh, everything is just lit really, really well, like it's... And, and still full of violence. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. one of the things, uh, I, I mean, I love that they use Modern Times... And that particular scene where he's blindfolded and in danger. It's, right. I mean, it's a brilliant piece of comedy. And we see Joaquin Phoenix's performance echoing uh-huh. so much Charlie Chaplin. Especially right? in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, he's dancing on the sidewalk. I said, this feels very Chaplin to me. And it, and then we see Chaplin doing work. We don't see Chaplin doing the dance, but mm-hmm. we do see this sort of blinded and self-risking mm-hmm. persona that ends up being very a, a nice parallel to what is happening to this uh, Arthur Fleck character yeah. throughout the piece. He's on the edge, right? Yeah. And he doesn't know where he's going. Right. And he's at such risk. Right. Um, yeah, he's just running around waiting for something to push him into into chaos, right? Um, and, and when, I mean, it's so quickly, I mean, when things go, they go, go right? The uh-huh. violence is so intense. Yeah, I mean, Joker goes from, like, 0 to 100 really, really fast. Because it's a switch. Like, it's a switch in his head um, that kind of catapults him into this uh, life of violence. And, and and we, well, I guess not 0 to 100. He kind of slowly ramps up, but once he gets momentum, it's hard to slow him down, right? Because you can see his uh, his whole persona change once he kills the three guys in the train. Right, yep. everything kind of switches for him there, and you're like, you can see it that okay, he just killed three people, and he is compl- he's on cloud nine, like he is the happiest he's ever been in his entire life. At least that's how I could, what I, I felt. Yeah, I felt yeah. that way too. And um, you know, we see him go up and down stairs throughout the entire uh-huh. thing. The yep. number of time we see him on a staircase is unbelievable. Yep. But there's the, the going down steps seems always to be happening when he's in the madness, like descending mm. in the madness. Oh, interesting. And when he's going up the stairs, he's he's there's like responsibility happening, or there's. Uh, real life happening. Oh, I did not pick I, up on that. Yeah. That is such a good catch. See, that's something I when I watch this back a second time, like I really want to pay attention to. I, I think that there's a hundred things like that in this film. Yeah. I think it's so well crafted. Yeah. But yeah, you know, in that, the moment at the end where he's coming down the stairs in the full costume, mm-hmm. he'd gone up those stairs uh-huh. for us slowly in suffering and pain. So this descent into madness to be like push the metaphorical yep. language yep. is what makes him healthy. And that's why the first killing I think has to happen in the subway. Oh right, right. You're, but it's beneath, It's right? beneath, it's, it's yep. underground. And there's all of this great thoughtful imagery. Yeah. On, uh, and but those things were, you know, that stuff pops into my head as I'm watching it. 
I, I was, uh, I, I was overwhelmed by how much craft was in it. Yeah. And you just said watching it again, about a third of the way through the film, I said, "There's no way I'm going to be able to digest this." Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I felt the same way. And not like I need to find all of the Easter eggs. Just there's so much uh -huh. information to digest. Yeah. Love the, how the how the camera's moving, the frame that they've chosen, the. The, the even just the production design things in the background like what am I missing that is telling the story um, even well, even him talking I'm sure there's lines in the beginning that will now make sense based off of the ending that we've seen yeah and you know there's 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 a couple moments where his face is against a great mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah uh, just I mean it's yeah, amazing the, the the cinematography in this movie is mm -hmm. is really breathtaking yeah and the use of really small depth of field. Yeah, it was very shallow, right? Really, yeah. really Things shallow. were very out of focus. Um, which, I mean, if we want to try and figure that out, like it feels like Joker's mind goes to one thing only every time, right? Like he's focused on one thing mm -hmm. every time you see him, and it's it's just that really shallow depth of field. Um, and it's beautiful yeah. to look at, right? Like for our it really eyes, is. yeah. It's it's one of those things where we can't do that with our eyes. Right. We do it with our minds. Our minds make depth of field for right. us. And here we're watching this movie where there's all of this depth of field. Yeah. There's very shallow depth of field, and it's just beautiful. Um, and for me, that was captivating. Yeah, absolutely. As well. Absolutely. Um, what did you think about his character trait of not being able to cry, and instead his tears were pretty much just laughter? So that's great acting. Uh -huh. It's so interesting to me. I wish I could know more, and I, we will, uh, about some of the process. Mm -hmm. Because Phoenix's, uh, th those moments, that gulping it back, the laughter, the fighting it, yeah. and the tears falling at the same time were so well crafted it's a biological shift yeah you know, acting is about the body and obviously he did some serious yeah. dieting right to yep. get to this part that that was devastating to me mm -hmm. uh, so how about you i have a question yeah yeah um oh i i mean i really loved it um i i think one of the key factors for the joker to be uh, successful, at least for me, is that laugh needs to be so present, and it needs to be a good maniacal laugh. Um, I, I mean, my favorite is is Mark Hamill's laugh from the uh, animated series, mm -hmm. um, and it feels like Joaquin Phoenix is kind of taking that and twisting it a little bit, but it still was that high pitch. Like, dude, if I heard this in the dark, it would freak me out. Um, so I and it, and it but it didn't feel forced. It felt it felt like a natural laugh by a guy who probably belongs in Arkham for the rest of his life. Exactly. Like it felt like he was always just crazy and we learn later that it's probably because of his traumatic brain injury that mm -hmm. he had like uh from from his mom, right? So just um yeah, I I mean I really enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting because I remember the first scene that it came that came on, right, was uh uh, the first scene was him laughing in the chair and, and it's it holds there for a long time that is a long shot and I sat there questioning like what the heck is happening and I started questioning like uh, what's happening and is he crying or is he laughing yep. I can't quite tell if he's trying to laugh to avoid from crying couldn't figure it out you know, I mean it all makes sense now and throughout the film he's just constantly 
laughing, but only at times where he should feel sorrow. Right? Yeah, where there's embarrassment, where there's shock, yeah. it's like a tick. You know, yeah. it's like he has some kind of emotional response. Yeah. I mean, it's a physical response, but it comes from some emotional place, and that laughter is out of control. So when he's nervous, when he's uncomfortable, mm. and then he's battling his own body yeah. throughout those those moments those things such good work yeah the same thing with the dancing there's so much really fascinating physical movement and when he's out of costume when we're just seeing his body it's this it's so disturbing yeah it is yeah he's like when his shirt's off which uh, is fairly often right he's in the blue pants mm -hmm. and the shirt all the time yeah yeah, there's yeah. that there's that moment, you know, we both chuckle when he shuts the door after the girl supposedly is coming to visit uh -huh, him. Yeah. He's in those like, crazy busy pants. Yeah, going on. <laughs> so, um, so here's the. I, I want to talk about a couple more things about sure. the filmmaking, sure. but before yeah. we do that, I want to just ask you a question. One of the things I struggle with figuring out how I want to react to this is about whether or not this is about sympathy for uh -huh. him. Do you feel sympathy? For that character, how how does that work for you, as a person? As you watch this, a movie that's about a guy whose life is just horrible. How do you feel about that? Like, what does the, what, what's your response um, to that? My sympathy changed throughout the film. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, I was sympathetic towards, it, but it's not towards him. It's towards like the group he represents. Um, because as you said, like there's a, there's definitely a metaphorical um, message that they're trying to share here, and it actually might not be very metaphorical. It might be pretty on the nose. Uh, that um, may be true too. And yeah. uh, that I mean. And that TV sequence maybe yeah. does that, right? So that's that's kind of how I feel of like we're there's people in our world right now experiencing this exact thing, um, and there's people in our world who are doing nothing about that. Um, so like I felt sympathy towards him as far as like you know the 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 funding getting cut for yep. his therapy sessions which means well, and he can't drugs, get the medication right? which like that is that that is stuff that actually happens mm -hmm. to people and so i felt sympathy for him because he wanted to he wanted to be well but he can't like he just physically can't do it um and just as somebody who like depression and anxiety and just being trapped in like this not well brain and this not well body, right? Like he's trapped, like he's physically trapped. Uh, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely felt emotional for him. Um, but it comes to a point to where, you know, I was okay with him killing the three people in the train because that was more of a self-defense move to me than it was yeah. anything else. Um, obviously when he comes down to killing his former coworker, um, little different <laughs> there uh, but he lets the other guy go yeah um and so like there is reason for what he's doing the guy he did kill at the end was somebody who uh in a way kind of stabbed him in the back right he was the one who gave him the gun he was kind of this thing that pushed him to madness when he rats on him right he rats several on him. times yeah and so like that's why he kills him but the other the little the the um midget guy that he i don't remember gary 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 his name is. small guy um he lets him go, gives him a kiss on the head. He's like, you're the only one who's ever been nice to me. He lets him go. And so, like, he feels very, there's very real emotions that are, and uh, I don't know. It, this, I need another watch through well, yeah, to that's, really determine. You know, that's part of why I, you know, I, I asked the question. And I want to, th that sequence I thought was spectacular. The tension and, yeah, of whether or not that little guy is going to go. Like, uh -huh. whether or not he is going to be killed. Yeah. We, we have several different 
what would be traditional cinematic cues that he's going to be. Yeah. He's crying, scared in the corner. He's told he can go. He's yeah. told he can go with Big Buddy's spot next to the person telling him he's going to go. Yeah. He has to walk past That's that it. person. Yeah. Then he's locked in from the chain. Uh -huh. And then after the chain is off, and there's all of these moments that for us in our horror movie-laden yeah. culture yeah. are where the knife falls, and right. it doesn't. That's just good craftsmanship in filmmaking, yeah. right? In, if, in, right. in a way, right. they it's... knew that they knew the tropes. They knew we would come in knowing the tropes, and they said, "We're going to play with you a little bit. There's going to be tension, and then we're going to let you breathe." And we're exactly, yeah. and we're going to we're going to in some way not let this be about the murder, right? Mm -hmm. So there is yes. right. Yeah. There mm -hmm. isn't a place where he murders someone in this movie where there isn't justice for him. That's what I struggle with. Mm. So each of those acts he does, there's a, there's justice, right? He's He is a vigilante. It may be talking about what Batman's about. I don't know. But, I, well, I know. Yeah, that's something I picked up on too. But yeah, keep going. Keep going. I mean, he shoots the three guys who are beating him and assaulting the woman. They're horrible. The guy who turns him in, gives him the gun, rats him out, is the, another person. There's yeah. Whether it's real justice or not, right. it's justice. His mother, who for all practical purposes caused him to be abused right. for some right. massive period of time and live a, a false life. I mean, right. these are all people. And ultimately, De Niro's character, who, uh, I mean... Uh, He's the media in this And he thing, made right? fun He's... of him in front of everybody. Yeah. That, that, to me, was so cruel when he shows that. Yeah, and, the clip, yeah. But it's YouTube, right? It's what we do on YouTube we do, all yeah. the time. But he, he represents the media to me, right? Yeah. He represents that, uh, that entire, yeah, that entire thing. Um, so coming back to vigilante, yeah. him, Batman and Joker have two very clear rules. Batman does not kill, Joker kills. Doesn't like that's what we pick up on in The Dark Knight. I'm gonna make you break your one rule. Um, they're both vigilantes in this movie in a way. Well, the, Batman's not, but but the idea of Batman the idea of Batman is, is, in is our a vigilante, heads, right? right? Right. We hear that we hear that word float around with him all the time. Um, they're doing justice on their own terms. Mm -hmm. um, Batman just decides not to kill people. Joker does. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a hard line of well, like... Well, we keep hearing the words masked vigilante too. You know, like, it's uh -huh. just a clown mask. It's uh -huh. so interesting how that that's so <laughs> present in the movie to me. Yeah. And that this may be begging the question about what we think about heroes and not. Uh -huh. This may be the most interesting Batman film we've ever had. Right. Do you know what I Without mean? Without Batman Without being, Batman being in involved, it. Right. Is Joker purposes. the superhero of this movie? Yeah. And, and ultimately, is this really the story of what what Batman really looks like right. in the world. Right. Uh, you know, is this what it looks like? The, you know, all of these phrases about adopted child and the Waynes and the, uh, I mean, their oh, yeah. arrogance mm -hmm. and, you know, Bruce is their child, but he then has a ward in Robin and there's all of these references yeah. to this universe. That's why I say, as much, I hear people say this is not in the universe. And, I, I mean, I don't see this working with, the character actors in Justice League. No, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like I don't yeah, see yeah, it yeah. working. No, it's not work. But I don't think the DC universe is cohesive at all anymore. No, it doesn't. It does not feel the same as the MCU. Right. You know, this everything that comes out in Marvel is connected. Suicide Squad doesn't feel like connected to Justice League for nope. me. You know, like I don't even think of those two movies as being the same universe. And I think the new one's going to feel completely different too. Mm -hmm. And and as a result, this could this certainly sits in 
this DC canon. Yeah. I, I know there have to be Batman fans who are livid at this. Right. The portrayal of the Waynes uh, is so antithetical to what people in like yeah. Batman mythology think. Yeah. And the age difference thing you've talked about. Uh, well, it flips the whole script, stress. right? It on, does. Uh, on its head uh, of, of what we think of Batman and what we think of the Waynes and, and ultimately Joker, if you're reading into it that much. It's easy to walk out of this film, get in your car and drive home and not think about it yeah, again. Yeah, I think that's true. And if you, do, if you do that, you're going to miss a lot. Like, this conversation has already been very helpful as to dissecting the movie and what the, the thought process was for the filmmakers behind it. Um, and we're really only touching on story. We haven't talked about, like much of the cinematography or production we other than saying it's beautiful and like I'm sure there's a bunch of easter eggs in there and like I want I would love to break down framing and the things in the background and just a whole bunch of and stuff blocking. But, and I mean, blocking yes over, like everything over again I, I you know we're running close on our our time and I cannot believe the number of times where I saw a shot mm. and I understood yeah the quality of work sitting behind it right the placement of Joker in a shot or the placement of Arthur in a shot depending on what it is the yeah. the the whether we're using a medium shot or a tight close up of who's speaking so you know yeah. Phoenix is in like a tight close up and that black guy who's get, giving out the um, the, the file the yeah. file mm -hmm. is in this wider shot and then he's in a tight shot when he gets emotional like all of these yeah. really clear ideas coming through in the filmmaking it's and like those dance sequences which are insane yeah to have in a film yeah and yet yeah they crafted it so well fine, right? that one when he turns and he ends the dance in the mirror uh-huh half of that had to have been improv oh yeah i imagine a lot of his dancing but the camera very, lands right on him it's, it's amazing like, yeah work. yeah i mean i i think we all felt at one point in this movie like the guy standing next to him as the curtain's opening. I don't know if you caught this guy yeah. who's just kind of like, so staring good. at him. Such a nice touch. Yeah, I was like, this is how we all felt at the beginning of the movie. Um, well, and it, we watch him transform, right? He, they're uh -huh. watching him be the dweeb. Right. And then the guy turns around and he sees what he's become. Yeah. Um, that's the guy who should have not let him go then, Yeah, right, right. We should pat you down real quick. And that guy sure for sure <laughs> should not have a job anymore. It's his fault. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he should be fired. <laughs> definitely, definitely not uh, the guy you went on. Awesome. Um, all right, we're going to come back and talk about this again, but what's your rating? Let's just let's uh, do the rating. Right now, my rating, uh, this is a... Um, I, 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 I'm going to say you should go see this in theaters because visually... It is so pretty. There was some really good sound design, too, that I caught. Um, we didn't mention that at all, but there was a lot of good sound that was coming surrounding my head. Um, so, yeah, for the sound, for the visuals alone, go see it in theaters. But uh, I would very much enjoy watching this on my television at home, too. I think you really should see this in a theater. I think you should see it in a theater with an audience. Yeah. I would recommend, when we saw it early in the day today to match our schedules and we had people in the house, mm -hmm. I think having bodies in that room is great. I do think this is a troubling film for a novice film viewer. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a novice film viewer, you just want to breathe deep when you go in and, and, and stick it out and yep. you'll get it. Yep. Um, I'm, you know, it, the violence too, I think is startling and far yep. more. They don't pull punches. They, right. It's so intense, and for a person going in thinking they're seeing a Batman, Batman film, film where we pull those punches, yeah. there's not. That's not no. the case. The, but I, I will say, I think it's a must see, and I think it's a must see yeah. in the theater for exactly what you're saying. The, the performance, 
Joaquin Phoenix is performance in those close-ups is yeah. priceless yeah. on a giant screen. Yeah. I think that it, it's a great reviewing on a small screen. I think you're right about that. There's no yeah. reason... I don't. There's know, no Warner reason Brothers not to see us in the theater. Right. And yeah. Warner Brothers would hate the... I'm going to say, you don't need to see it twice in a theater to right. get the stuff. I think a, a decent-sized TV will do the work yeah. on your second viewing. Yeah. Uh, but the detail is in... I mean, this is one of those films that, that you're glad that there may be... 5k or 8k tvs in the future <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of detail that 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 you'd miss uh so thank god for 4k um cool well we'll be back in just a second to talk more about joker and you can hear our other thoughts i guess our other review well, we, or whatever we were i don't know we're, we're gonna, gonna go talk about we're gonna go research and some stuff, stuff here we'll find yeah. out what people thought and we'll see what we think yeah we'll about read it. some reviews and all that good stuff so all right stick around Hey guys, welcome back to the Rack and Focus podcast. It's been a few days since we saw Joker in theaters and we've had a little bit of time to digest and to uh, kind of think upon what this movie was about and read some reviews and hear what the critics are saying and uh, just kind of think about it a little bit more. So uh, we're going to jump right in. Um, do you want to start by reading a review that you found or uh, an article that you I'd, I'd love to at? take a few moments and um talk about this review from the guardian which is pretty negative <clears throat> sorry <You're... laughs> uh the the headline is of course joker review the most disappointing film of the year and the lead in the headline says why so serious todd phillips solemn but shallow supervillain origins movie has a strong performance by uh phoenix but is weighed down by realistic detail and tedious material and it looks to me like this is definitely a movie from someone who wants to talk about or a review from someone who's talking about comic book movies mm. and so i'm going to just read a very brief section from the back end of the review yeah. there is no reason why phoenix's elaborate backstory joker shouldn't be as powerful as heath ledger's mysterious motiveless or, or originless joker in the dark knight but at some stage the comic book world of the supervillandom has to be entered and ledger was more powerful because he wasn't weighed down by all this realistic detail and overblown ironic noir grandeur and he wasn't forced to carry an entire story on his own the joker is just one act in him the first act the film somehow manages to be desperately serious and very shallow and i I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Can I argue that the Dark Knight is uh, kind of noir-esque? I think you could make that argument. Because there's a whole lot of... I think if you were to turn that film black and white, um, you would be seeing... There's a lot of shadow. There's a lot of... I mean, I classify noir a lot with like um, the, the camera and the cinematography and the color and like mm -hmm. the way shadows are used. And it's very shadowy in the Dark Knight. Um but even with that, it's gritty and like raw and real and like to me, noir is. Motion detected at the front door. There's somebody at my front door. Thank you, Alexa. Ignore them. Um, and, and they said something else that that uh, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker was motiveless, which I think is also wrong. I think that he was, an, as he called it, an agent of chaos, and his motive was to. Uh, increase chaos and be a catalyst for chaos. I don't know what the, the there might not be a reason behind the chaos causing other than to just incite chaos and incite riots and incite murder and 
uh, just this chaos. Right? Well, and at some point it becomes about the Batman, right? So mm-hmm. at some point, Leather Ledger's uh, it, his motive is to deal with the Batman, that right. order that the Batman represents. And as mm-hmm. an agent of chaos, it means he does have some purpose. He may be nihilistic. He may be uh, anarchistic in yeah. his behavior, but that doesn't remove motive. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, his, I, his motive may be to just play cat and mouse with Joker. Or with uh, with Batman, yeah, exactly. You know? Like it's just a game for him. Well, and at the beginning, the beginning of it is about breaking things down. But the Batman's present in the world he's in. It's not as if that's the first film. Mm-hmm. So we certainly see him as the movie progresses, becoming someone who is not just trying to create chaos, but trying to direct his actions towards an adversary he's yeah, found. Right, right. Someone worthy of his his time and energy. Right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I disagree with what he's saying. And and we and you read a, a brief sentence about from that article at the before we started recording here about it being a what a, a tedious and realistic weighed down by the realism. Yeah, weighed down by uh, the tedious script and the and the and the realist the realism of the and I, I just feel like that's completely the opposite of what you want your script to be of being <laughs> of being tedious and your details being realistic. Um, I don't want to classify this movie as a comic book movie, but at the same time. This is a, a character and a world that takes place largely in comics first, movie second. And we're seeing shots in this film that are uh, almost feel like they could be pulled straight from uh, a Joker comic, right? Um, you're seeing spoilers. Uh, if you didn't know this, I don't know why you're listening to this at all. You're seeing Bruce's parents get murdered in an alley. Uh, and it looks like a panel from, you know, the, the angle's Dutch. It's cocked a little bit. It's uh, it's like an aerial view. It looks like you're looking out a window through some uh, like clotheslines and just the grunge of the alleyway to see them get shot. Yeah, and um, in the Vanity Fair piece, they show that shot from the opening that does the same kind right, of same thing. thing. Yeah, of, of Joker getting beat on the on the ground in the alley, right? Yeah. And so the idea is like the imagery may feel like comic book, but one of the things a friend of mine, Jerry Rudisill on Facebook wrote a, a lengthy post, which I'll reference a little bit of later. But one of the things he said is that this isn't. The word comic book film isn't an attack against a film Mm -hmm. because comic book doesn't mean the Avengers. Right. Comic book can mean Ghost World. Comic book can mean Road to Perdition. Comic book can mean a whole variety of other Other stories. And if we look in particular at the imprint uh, called uh, Vertigo from DC, Mm -hmm. you know, those Vertigo books were... often utilizing a comic book character but first of all for wildly metaphorical reasons and second of all in traditionally non-comic book atmospheres that may look comic booky sometimes which this does it has to joker looks like the joker Uh, yeah absolutely but it doesn't mean that it is burdened by the requirements of some arbitrary comic book title yeah I just disagree with pretty much whatever he said in that entire article there. From the, from what you've read, I haven't read the article myself. Well, and but. the article, although it does do a lot of description of the film, actually goes after it even more strongly okay, in some yeah. places. So the, that conclusion is what I wanted to read just to give us something to talk about. But the, the whole article is worth the read, especially if you want to have something to sort of counter your own thinking about. What Do you, do you agree or disagree with his article? I almost completely disagree with the okay. article I, for a variety of reasons. But one is that placing a film in a box is never healthy Uh you know it's just the same thing with avengers endgame i don't i mean it's a comic book film but that isn't a box it lives in it it, it like transcends multiple platforms right multiple genres of of filmmaking and that particular film really does it because of of what it's doing in cinema and we have to stop saying that's what a comic book film is but if you've 
grown up in a world where this is what comic if you've grown up in the past 10 years yeah you think comic book films are mcu right yeah 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 right they i mean they run the mcu and in a world right now where uh you have martin scorsese and jennifer aniston both in the same i believe same week kind of saying that uh marvel movies uh aren't cinema aren't real cinema right it's it's not uh scorsese's uh, taxi driver or it's not the godfather or it's not uh 2001 space odyssey right all uh, f- big contributions to film um is just i think completely wrong and there's people on twitter right dragging uh, scorsese and jennifer aniston through the mud right now just saying like how how can you even say that this isn't cinema you know it's just a different story that's being told and sure it's large scale big budget shot on green screen sound stages just because we're not on set in practical locations using practical lighting uh you know techniques it's doesn't make it any less cinema any less film right well one of the things to be really clear about it and you know there's the noir reference in the article uh that i just read from the guardian mm-hmm. and you know i think back i mean cinema starts with this kind of adventure i mean flash right. gordon is early work you know yeah. and uh Maltese Falcon is right. without question a, a popular film. Yeah. And so it, it isn't just about making something that you want to classify art. That's an elitist position that I can't stomach because right. if people go to see this film and they they engage in it in a way and people go to see Dark Knight and they engage in it in a way that is art- aesthetically appropriate, then it's great. I, I mean, there are movies we can say aren't cinema that I... that that are because they don't do anything cinematic, right? They could be a television program. They're just shot with a bigger budget. And we we see that less right now, but there's a couple things out right now. I can, I can not, I will not name that, but there's a few things coming out (laughs) this week, this very week that are, that could easily have been done on TV if it wasn't for the star and the person driving the film. Right. Absolutely. There you go. Uh, I'm going to read a very quick um, sentence from Richard Brody from the New Yorker. Uh, He says, Joker is a movie of cynicism so vast and pervasive as to render the viewing experience even emptier than its slapdash aesthetic does. Um, essentially, what he's saying is that this movie is so cynical uh, that that the experience is empty. Right? Am I getting that right? That's certainly what it sounds like. Uh, the word slapdash seems... Completely, completely out of yeah it was a weird word to read in there's the nothing thing, slapdash right? about this yeah film. and so so i'm reading this i'm like this just doesn't feel right just because a movie is cynical doesn't make it uh, make the make the experience empty and we we were talking before we started recording and and we we do this and we probably shouldn't ever do this uh is talk before before we record right. about the movie and uh, i think we often tell each other like we got we got to stop talking yeah but uh you brought up you brought up the the thought of like this movie never took a position and never took a stance on siding with a char- with with Joker siding with its main character or not right. Motion detected at the. I don't know who is at our door, but they're gonna stay there. They will stay there. Uh, yeah. So like the movie never really takes a position, never takes a side on is Joker doing what is right or what is wrong. It's it's kind of morally ambiguous at, from like a camera perspective, as if you're somebody kind of watching. Uh, all of this play out. Um, can you talk more about that? You, were, I, I know you brought that up. I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So it. I, I mean, this is something I heard. So I was listening to the Empire podcast, and Helen O'Hara talked particularly about one of her issues with the film mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily just the sort of 
what appears to be this sort of traditional liberal right. what you know one of the people i read snowflake response to uh, this yeah. idea mm. where you know the movie is about an incel and we don't need that in our cinema and but helen o'hara doesn't take that stance although i think her gut is giving her some of that and she talks about going into the film with some concerns but one of the things she said is it it didn't her struggle with the film was it didn't take a position on the joker's behavior that the film didn't take what might be considered a moral position or an ethical yeah. position in reference to that and and, and i actually almost at this point disagree with that right and it's from this position i've taken which i said in the first half of this podcast i think this movie is about our problem loving batman right i think this movie is about i think i keep i wrote to a friend of mine just recently it's the best batman film ever made right because it makes us question batman in a way that batman movies can't because he has to be the hero Mm -hmm. and we are, are allowed to hate the joker but the Joker in this film is a masked vigilante and every one of his actions, every action he does in that film is justified. Mm-hmm. The people who he kills are not maybe killings too far, but the people who he kills are all people who have done a significant wrong to him right. and a significant wrong that echoes publicly. It's right. not just revenge. It, he is attacking the cruelty of these individual groups of people. Yeah. And that's what Batman does. He just doesn't kill, kill right. right? It's the rule that it's, he breaks, it's right? The rule it's, everybody has their own set of rules. And, and if that's the only difference, what does that say about us mm-hmm. who admire Batman or the Batman, whatever we want to say, and don't admire Joker or the Joker? And I'm right. using that language because this movie's called Joker, not, not the, the Joker. Joker. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me to consider the fact that we open the film with an attack in uh, an alley. Mm-hmm. Like, he he begins yeah. his journey being struck down by a you know some kind of street thug in an alley yeah. and yeah. that begins his journey mm-hmm. to becoming this vigilante who in his last act both inspires a city to respond as batman does right. right batman's this inspirational figure to the city and ultimately takes the, the you know that shot he each person he kills what is a person who has committed an injustice and the people he doesn't kill who he could kill many more people mm-hmm. are all people who didn't commit an injustice exactly like gary like one gary. of his co-workers at haha's right he lets him completely walk out of the apartment after maybe scaring him a little bit and uh and messing with him but he kisses him on the head and says you're the only one who's ever been nice to me and so there's you're seeing an actual moral moral compass from uh from his perspective we're we're seeing that he's okay Everything he's doing, he's actually doing it for a reason, um, unlike what some people might think is motiveless for Heath Ledger's Joker. We're actually seeing motive behind this Joker. Um, we know why he's doing things. We know he's doing things. That he, we know he's doing these killings to people who wrong him rather than just to the random public. Like, you know, I think of The Dark Knight and um, he's, you know, Joker shoots the mayor or, or attempts to shoot the mayor and he tries to blow up two different boats um none of those people wronged him in any way that we know of or that were shown on screen uh and so that's what comes off as motiveless um but what's interesting is like the the boat scenario is about forcing people to question their own mm-hmm. ethics mm-hmm. What is, and he wants to create chaos. He's not yeah. doing an experiment to find out the answer. He right. wants the he's, chaos he, from right. it. Right. Yeah. He doesn't care about the outcome other than what happened. He wanted it to. He wanted one of the ships to explode. He wanted somebody to make a choice and launch 
if one of those boats explodes, who knows what's going to happen to the rest of the city because Gotham is really uh, just waiting for a little bit of, of a push to launch into chaos. Um, every time, actually, we see this in Batman Begins. The whole city goes into chaos and Batman Begins. does the same thing in Dark Knight Rises when Bane shows up. Like, everything. Gotham is just ridiculous. You should, If you live in Gotham, you should move out of there. But it's, it's a ridiculous <laughs> city. And what Todd Phillips talks about in Vanity Fair piece that we watched together was that he wanted Gotham to feel like that's just the buildings were oppressive and just uh, almost like a cage keeping, you know, Joker in and just and just oppressing him and pushing him down, right? And almost like the man beating it down, except this man was the was the entire city, uh, and we see that w with the other uh, residents who are taking a side on. Um, you know, are they siding with uh, potential mayor? Uh, Mr. Wayne, right? What's what's his what's his first Thomas. name? Thomas. Thomas Wayne, uh, and uh, or are they siding on the mass vigilante clown who killed three of um, Wayne Wayne employees on a on a train, right? Like yeah, and those Wayne employees were horrible. Yeah, I mean, oh, they, they were would all have awful. raped that that girl. woman. Yep, yep. They would have raped that girl, and they only his disease, mm -hmm. his mental illness, his madness right. drove them to attack him instead yep. of her. I mean, that's something to be said about Batman, too. He draws the madness to him, and mm -hmm. so the people of Gotham may have some of that avoided to them. It means right. right interesting. Right. Batman would have shown up in, in a similar way to protect that woman, whether she was on a train or in an alley, from, from being attacked, right? Like, that would have happened. And there's, I mean, does Batman have a mental illness? The man who speaks like this and he's in a bat suit, like, at night. Like, he's got... These might have some issues. Well, what's great is, right, the question of Batman in a Batman film is if he's mad, right? Right. Or if he's stable. And that's Alfred's role in the yeah. Dark Knight series yeah. is to question that over and over and over again. Over and over, And yeah. it's what, you know, what fails in the the newer DC incarnation with Ben Affleck is that none of those questions are raised. Right. And there's, they tried to go super comic booky in the darkness and it doesn't uh, function. Yeah. But for this, you know, we see a similar thing. He does have a mental illness. Batman may be disturbed. He certainly mm -hmm. is suffering from significant trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's what Joker's suffering from. Yeah, the parallels absolutely. are really strong. And you know, what I find interesting is in those last moments of the film, when we're in Joker's POV briefly as he's talking to the psychologist who may be the only person who he kills who isn't truly justified. Although, give me enough time and I'll figure that out. Um, wait, wait, wait. Rewind. The, the psychologist. The, the psychologist at the very end who he kills, but we don't see the kill. We just see them marching in with the bloody shoes or oh, whatever. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, in that moment, we do see this flash in his head to the Thomas Wayne murder, which he can't know about. Right. And there's a, I, I, you know, there's a billion YouTube videos you can watch about Easter I'm eggs sure. in this film. Right, yeah. To some extent, which I think is exactly the wrong approach to this particular film. But uh, there, you can go watch them, and they talk about that. And I think they're missing the mark in many ways because something's happening there that I haven't figured out completely. Mm -hmm. But I think it aims towards the Batman and and Joker's relationship with that. Right. Uh, and there's something about that that is interesting in this film that's making me still think, and that's important. Is it? Um, I haven't watched any of those Easter egg videos, but I mean, the only the only thing I can think of that could connect Joker to that scenario of uh, of of another person in a Joker mask was he in a Joker mask when he killed Thomas Wayne and and uh, 
you know, the pretty much the Wayne parents. You're gonna ask me. I think he was. That. I want. I think he starts it and he takes it off. I want to say he was, and so mm, I, I, I and so I'm thinking of the, um, you know, it's not about if if Joker knows or not. It's about the collectivist whole that he's created. This group that he's created of of clowns of people who are people who were called the clowns people who were called clowns by thomas wayne at one point in an audio interview uh on tv and that's why these these this divide started because of the name uh of uh of clowns that that the mayor called them essentially right like they are yeah so like i i mean i just think of like maybe it's just it's it's just reference to the collective whole the group that he has started like he might not he's not the only clown which is why it's not called the joker exactly. it's called joker and so it doesn't matter if it's his memory or if we're flashing to somebody else's memory it is joker as a whole right jokers it maybe this this movie could have been called too and it still could have worked um yeah, there's a lot to unpack in there. I'm sure once we get it back on, you know, streaming or DVD or something like that, we can watch through it and figure out what. Well, under maybe what means, an augmented view of this, where we right. stick something else on the back end of the podcast. So if it pops back up in your feed, it means we did yeah, something. We've added something. Yeah. Uh, in the last five minutes or this so. Movie this movie is um is no shy to controversy right now. Um, there's all actually, I feel like it's being criticized for nearly almost everything that it does whether that's Joaquin Phoenix losing 52 pounds or uh you have De Niro and Joaquin Phoenix's uh disagreements or something like that I think I read a title there they just they just disagreed on set a lot or there was some kind of heat between them or something but um the other thing that I found was uh the song Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter who's a I believe he's convicted but he's a known pedophile and sex accuser all terrifying um, stuff for us to be talking about go ahead terrifying stuff for us and i almost don't want to touch it but this is from screen rant it's and, good do it it's and worth uh it. so so my question is this so this song rock and roll part two and you'll know this song if you go back and check out this it's the yeah, yeah. yeah. um alexa just won't stop man Anyway, it's that song that comes on when Joker dons the full red suit, mm -hmm. um, full character. He's finally kind of realized himself as who he really is. Uh, and that song comes on. Uh, interesting song to choose. Uh, the music choices in this movie were, I, I think, uh, they caught me off guard a little bit. Um, but this article from Screen Rant was saying that somebody had to know that they were using a song from Gary Glitter who is, this is a controversial song to use right now. And it's been used in dozens of other films and um, he's convicted and he's going to make money off of this song being played. And is that right or wrong? And should they have not played this song? <laughs> should they have not used this song knowing the past of, of who this guy is and what he's done? And um, should we choose to use his artistic medium, his song in this film? And it made me wonder is... Um, is this movie purposefully trying to be controversial? Uh, because it's, I think it is the most controversial film of 2019 by far. Uh, I can't even think to another movie this year that's come out that's been like in the headlines this much for controversy. No, absolutely not. So it made me wonder, is this, is this movie trying to be distinctly controversial? Well, it certainly for me is pushing buttons deliberately. Yeah. And there, there's no way that they did not think about their reactionary incel response they were going to get from people. Right. So that just seems to me that it's a, you know, it's a push too. And they certainly know that there is a 
Easter egg detail breakdown culture we live right. in. For sure. And there are going to be people on YouTube who are going to be pointing out every single detail yeah. to try and, 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 and ultimately, I mean, the failure of those things is that they're trying to figure out an answer mm -hmm. and they are going to force it into whatever box their brain right. it gives them. But I don't think this film has anything that's not purposeful in it. No, I think everything that's been uh, done is is very purposefully chosen. And you can see even, and again, I recommend uh, uh, Anatomy of a Scene from Vanity Fair just to get a sense of how serious they yeah. were about the it's work. It's meticulously crafted. Like everything they do is meticulous. Um, and you can see it in the cinematography and the production design and everything that they're doing, costume design, makeup, everything they do is is it's tedious as as somebody pointed out in the guardian review so it, everything they do is tedious and meticulous and um well crafted and i think you brought up the question earlier is uh should art be moral um i don't remember what you brought that up with it wasn't on the podcast it was again before we started recording um but that's something this this goes to this man's song that was used gary glitter's song uh, rock and roll part two um and it goes back i mean I watched, uh, I don't know if you've seen Midnight in Paris at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I really, really enjoy that film. But the question comes up again, should art be moral? Should we watch um, Should we watch movies or listen to songs or read books from people who might have done bad things in the past? You're talking, I'm going to call out names, which sucks, but we were talking Kevin Spacey. You're, you're, you're talking Woody Allen. You're talking... Uh, do uh, Picasso does Picasso fall into that group? Does Hemingway fall into that group? Like, do right. there's people that might fall into these categories here? Um, and do we do we choose to read their art for art and what it is and like the just I don't know like it's a, it's a hard question to answer, right? So I'm not expecting you to necessarily answer this question either, and and this is not a question I don't think we're gonna get correct on this first talk through right there's right. no this is a it's an opinion for everybody so yeah and it's you know it's a real struggle we have to examine that from a couple of positions and one is there's a difference we we rely far too much on what we believe we know mm -hmm. through the media channels that we right. gain information as right. opposed to the experience and we have created i mean for me, the, the end result of this, and, and I'm going to go way out on a limb here, is uh, we have a culture that's created uh, a power to celebrity over artist that is very problematic. Mm -hmm. And that is our fault as a community. And so when we start to we look at channels that are giving us information and when i say channels i don't mean tv channels right but like yeah, yeah. different media forms right. that are giving us information about people and then that becomes part of the narrative of the works of art we're relying we're like doubling down on a failed system right there and and the farewell is a perfect example of that farewell is a magnificent little film uh, I'm, I think Parasite's another one of these we're going to see that's going to fall in the same category. Yeah. They're, these, they're small films that the, they deserve recognition. They gain recognition, but there's 50 other films out there that should be looked at too that can't get the money to get where they need to go. Right. And then when we say, so we shouldn't watch Joker because it uses a film by a potential pedophile, right. we, we need to be able to separate pedophile from the artist. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we should pay them but we've created the culture that pays these people and makes this all about the money right and 
it isn't what it's about. That doesn't mean the people who are making the farewell don't deserve to get paid. It does mean, though, that we need to have a different approach when we look at this media and say that it needs to be created by people who are morally sound when we only know they're morally sound because they haven't been caught yet. Right. 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 They haven't yeah. been exposed yet. And everyone has a dark secret. And those dark secrets that they hold, if exposed, shouldn't destroy the eons of good work they can do in the world. Right. Uh, and so we have to deal with that. The, you know, the hard drinking film creators of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, <laughs> yeah. those guys are morally problematic right. in today's picture. We have to reflect on how women were treated in those films. But sure. I still think we have to watch Casablanca. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, I agree. But, that, I agree but if that, the yeah. artwork is right. morally reprehensible, like, for instance, Birth of a Nation. Yes. We need to know that. Yes. Maybe we need to analyze it. We need to know that. If the film's intention has a different motive without knowledge of that, but the creator's personal mistakes can certainly make you decide not to watch. For sure. But yeah. they can't be a border for us right. because we're only knowing about their mistakes because we give them the power of celebrity in the first place. Right. So that's and that's not answering the question. But no, it's, it's a, my little but preachy it's a, position. It, no, it's good. And I, I'm not going to say any more on the subject because I think what you said is 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 something that we, we should just leave it at that. And, and that's good. And we'll uh, visit it again later. Yeah, that, I mean, but it is such a good question. And I mean, and this movie definitely kind of tackles that whole thing of the morality of Joker and what he's doing. We've talked about that already. And, and how does that compare to what Batman does and all that? So good. Uh, hey, what, what images might've remained? Are there any visuals that have stuck around in your head for the last couple of days? Why, why don't, why don't you start that? I need a second to, it is. No, it's difficult. Um, you know, the, we just watched anatomy of the scene and this visual has kind of remained in my head since uh the when we saw it i think i wouldn't we see this wednesday um of him you know putting his fingers in his mouth and making himself smile and frown smile and frown and the teardrop comes comes down that that image has remained a bit after after watching the film is that's one of the first scenes mm -hmm. um after watching the film and hearing him say i thought my life was always a tragedy but now i realize it's a comedy I that that scene has a different meaning for me now, and so uh, going back and watching, you know, if I see this a second time in theaters, or whether I wait until it comes out, I can view it at home. Uh, I'm going to be watching the movie a little bit differently, knowing um, knowing how kind of his his character arc. So that scene has definitely changed a little bit for me since since finishing the movie. Uh, so that scene that scene has stuck with me, and I think the, him coming down the stairs, dancing down the stairs. Um, has stuck with me, but another one is him behind the curtain waiting to go out, uh, and him kind of, uh, being stiff and then slowly dancing into his Joker persona has really stuck with me too. Yeah. You know, one of the images, it's a strange one, I guess, is him sitting next to the bloody spot on the wall after he's killed. Yeah. What's the guy's name? Oh, Grant. Uh, think, it's not Grant. No, I'm uh, completely making that up. I don't know. I don't know what his name is. The right. big guy. He's a bigger the big guy. guy yeah. yeah. That that moment is a moment that sticks with me. There's Randall. Randall. That's Randall. it. It's there's something about that image. Uh, it it does a thing with blood that I think is really appropriate. It's a really solid use of blood. Yeah. Uh, and I actually just saw the 
the sequel to Jack Reacher last night, the oh, last yeah. few minutes of it, and you know, a guy's head hits the ground and there's blood and he gets back up and fights for 20 minutes. <laughs> and like that doesn't happen. And <laughs> no, so yeah. that blood is powerful and him sitting there is very powerful. There's something that's happened to him in that moment that's interesting and the visual of that's really strong. The other one that gets me, and it's a weird image, but I, I thought it was beautiful and probably missed, is him in the cancer ward it is a it's such a complex image and it sticks with me and i can see the two nurses clapping along and him dancing and the kids in wonder in a way that our jaded world oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. could never ever do today right you know it it is it is a it is a world of innocence that he's in the middle of mm -hmm. and the gun flops out yeah, yeah. and it's the moment when he picks it up it, it's just beautiful right, the, the right. transition that takes place in the room it's it's just a beautifully shot image and that image really sticks with me yeah that image that that scene was almost jarring because in today's world no kids are even going to be interested in oh, a in dancing clown, clown. Oh, no not at all not and, at all you know there's the the walls if i remember correctly are sort of this dark or light green there's uh -huh. this awful green yeah and the beds are packed in yep. it's such there's a, a well lot designed. of people in that room yeah. and he drops the gun yeah and it he, falls out i mean it yeah it's just accident and he picks it up and i think he brings his hand to his mouth and oh, tells no. them to, sh to shush that whole scene i feel like is metaphorical in its own way in some way i'm yeah. not going to break that down but that scene's an important scene for sure um can you name a movie at all i can that has done this is, is similar or yeah, this uh, is all yours to start um, i said i would respond so to this I, I, i'm going to bring up taxi driver great because you're getting that 70s, early 80s vibe, the grittiness, um, and you have an anti-hero uh, of Travis Bickle being this guy who actually uh, transforms into this person who almost assassinates a presidential candidate. But then he decides to turn and use his, um, uh, I, I guess I want to say... Uh, his heroic power he wants to be a hero in some way and he thought he could potentially be a hero by killing this presidential candidate but he turns that motivation and actually saves a young girl from um i believe it's a, a prostitute a pimp's house or something yeah. like that she's a she's like a 12 year old prostitute um and so he tr kind of he kind of switches his motivation here um and that's I mean, that's Scorsese, right? There's a, definitely a moral theme behind every Scorsese film in some way. Absolutely. And uh, so him switching from choosing to do what is morally the wrong thing to morally the right thing is very on brand for Scorsese. Um, I think this Joker film could have been made by Scorsese, but I don't think it would have been made as well. Because I think towards the end of the movie, we would have seen what Scorsese does and he would have twisted it to be morally okay rather than leaving this morally ambiguous i think i think that's probably true and, and you know whatever reason scorsese's not involved is about things like that i think that's yeah. really one of the but i was breaks. getting these scorsese vibes as i was watching yeah. this movie um and that, this movie yeah. feels like 2070s films certainly mm -hmm. in in the way it vibes i want to say that it see for me it's difficult with a movie right mm -hmm. this looks like what i think the watchman film should have looked like okay that's what I want to say. This in what way? Like, in, the, in the grittiness of it? In or? the grittiness and the hyper-realism mm -hmm. and the amount of street we see. Yeah. One of the things that the Watchmen comic does really well is it's the everything's populated. Right. 
and the population is stripped away in the film version to just let the main character shine right. and here there is there even though this movie does strip away and the main we have very few main characters the characters on the street the people on the street are very present it's like that opening sequence the where extras see are there the, they're, right. they're, it's a it's a crowded street exactly. filled with cars and people and bystanders I don't know. You, you our neighbors, I think our neighbors just keep going in and out of their house. They know we're recording a podcast yeah, to keep exactly walking out. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it, the, the, everybody's a parent, right? Everybody's real. Everybody's there. They live in a real world. And that's, I think, what I like about this film so much is that we're seeing the streets of Gotham rather than the rooftops of Gotham. Well, or just the criminal results of Gotham. That too, yeah. It, it's a daylight film where we're seeing people doing things. And, you know, in Anatomy has seen the same thing we see as that piano player. Mm-hmm. They're playing while he's doing the, as you said, the, the so Chaplin-esque Chaplin, yep. with piano behaviors. And it, to me, it's really interesting. We get to see that piano player. We look at his face. We, we yep. get a good character moment. Yep. I can tell you what, he, he's a black man wearing this purplish, lavenderish, burgundy suit playing a brown piano like, in the middle I shouldn't of the be able to tell you that like they but they gave him a second and a half of screen time and he's memorable enough for me to remember what he looked like and that's about specificity of the production design and of the you know directorial moment and and and, and with that in mind I think that that's one of the things this does particularly well in reference to it being done poorly uh-huh. in the Watchmen film. Yeah. So that's the, you know I, I that that to me is one of the connections, and I I just think back to you know there's so many seventy film seventies films that sit in a gritty world and French Connections right this good mm-hmm. example of it. Right. Uh, there's a pile of black exploitation films where the film is so gritty and the the and full of grain and there's a there's a texture to it. So this was shot on three different cameras the Arri Alexa 65 the Arri Alexa LF and the Arri Alexa Mini all with Hasselblad primes uh, and the yeah this I mean the Arri Alexa shoots digital as far as I as far as I know um, the cinema cinematographic process Arri Raw 3.4k 4.5k 5.1k um, is, okay, the, yeah, is the so source is the source format the negative format 35 millimeter for the titles um, and then you have some video modern times footage and live with Murray Franklin TV footage being um, a little bit different. But uh, so, yeah, this was shot digitally um, and then printed onto 35 millimeter spherical and then 70 millimeter Kodak. Okay, all right. Um, so, yeah, so they've it looks like they've done a little bit of I'm, and I'm getting a Batwoman uh, ads now on the side for the CW. So nice. that's, they're definitely listening. They're definitely listening. Um, well, Alexa's been interrupting the podcast so regularly. But yeah, so what they've done then is definitely added some sort of grain or grittiness to the, and that may have been in a, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with colors too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you can add grain without destroying the film. Easy. I can add grain in any yeah. of my small projects I do. Mm-hmm. I have a little grain overlay and I just set the blending mode differently. So being conscious about that means that the film is there. You, you, you the film is working to try and recreate that cinema experience yeah. and not be glossy. Right. Uh, and some comics are grainy. I mean, that's yeah. part of what it is. You know, the drawing doesn't have to be clean and crisp like a Marvel superhero film. Right. Cool. Uh, give me your rating. Do you still recommend seeing this in theaters? Would you prefer to see this on uh, on your couch at home? What do you think? I'm, I'm still 100% behind seeing it in the theater. And I think that the more, the more I think about the film, the more I want someone to see it in the theater. Yeah. 
partly to have the communal experience of seeing that and partly for that large screen to get all of the detail that we're talking about. And also because I think it's a film you want to watch at home again mm -hmm. with the full experience under your belt. Yeah. As opposed to watching it one or two or three times. This is another one of those films where I'm like, there's no, you have no business watching this on commercial TV where it's being broken. There's no, no way. No, no. You're going to lose so much of the, the momentum doing that, right? If and this you, comes on AMC, just just buy it on iTunes or you just gotta skip rent it. it somewhere. It's, yeah. it's not a movie that's viable to watch in that environment. And my concern actually about the incel question mm -hmm. is about that. So this, you know, people accuse this movie of being a riot creating, violence creating film. Right. And, and, you know, one of the articles that I read uh, talked about the fact that this film is representational of an emotional energy that's in the population now in reference to rich and poor and issues of rich uh -huh. and poor. And that may be true and that may be interesting for us to talk about another time when we're not here in the podcast. And you know, there's articles to do it. Left Voice has an article about it that someone, if they want to read it, can read. But what I, I want to say on the other hand is, you know, I've, I've expressed this like disgust at the fact that the bad guys in all of these contemporary films are all people who believe as i do to some extent that we have you know economic and social inequity and we need to do something about it right. but i'm really right, not right. planning to murder people <laughs> i don't even think that's an appropriate you response mean, you, to you're not trying to seek out an infinity gauntlet and snap uh, half the population no certainly in order to solve climate change right? right and i'm certainly not bane who says we have to bring down the problems of the system uh -huh. so yay burn down the system right. you know and, and i'm the bad guy I, oh i'm not the bad guy right and i know that what i'm doing it for is for some better humanity and it's what Joker makes me question. Right. Joker makes me question that. So I need the context of the film in the theater to watch it. And if I watch it on TV, I am terribly concerned that people without the full breadth of the film being broken by commercials yeah. and being broken by uh, uh, commercials artificially placed by someone who doesn't care at all about the filmmaking allows someone to completely misinterpret this film. Yeah. If you watch the last 15 minutes of this film without the rest, that's a problem. Yeah, and that will happen when somebody tunes happen. in and it's on some channel and they're catching the tail end of this film and it's very confusing and all you're getting is a, is a brief picture of what, what of a guy Joker who is like, angry right? and murders someone yeah. and then spouts off this sort of Rant, revolutionary yeah. almost anarchistic yeah. language which both betrays what anarchism is about and what betrays what revolution is about right. and feeds into a mindset that we've created in our again by our media in our population yeah, this so is, this is definitely a movie you need to see in theaters it, yeah and yeah. then you can watch it at home and it's a movie to watch on hbo or hulu yeah. or netflix or amazon wherever it ends up or you can watch the whole thing and, and if you don't have the chance to go see it in theaters it's okay uh, we're not saying you, you absolutely 100% need to see this in theaters, but if you are going to watch this at home, make sure you do it uninterrupted without children around and you're not, you're not getting up in the middle of the movie and doing, and taking out the trash and doing some dishes for, you know, 10 minutes, like sit down, watch this movie. It's okay to pause and think about what is happening and what's going on. Uh, but definitely don't let a network dictate when you're stopping and pausing and then you're watching some ads for I don't know some consumer thing and then whatever know, it may be like, I mean just so backwards yeah. to what this movie is so and, and you know that if you're watching Joker they're going to be putting commercials on that are a 
appropriate to Joker in some way right. or an expected audience. Yeah. And that perversion of expected audience can augment the rest of that. Yep. You know, you only need one or two bizarre video game uh, commercials in there to enforce an already weird perspective towards yep. this film. Yep. They're artificial inserts that the director doesn't approve of. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I don't care about that. Some movies, it doesn't matter when you break it up. This one I actually think really matters. And, you know, there's I, I would say Memento's the same way. Uh, that movie would be impossible to watch with commercials. It, it just doesn't, I can't even can't do think it. about how to even do that. Yeah. But no, I agree with you 100%. Go see this in theaters. Um, it'll be worth it alone for the cinematography and the acting and direction and all the detail put into this film, meticulously crafted. Um, I mean, there's set extension, digital set extensions in this film that you're not even thinking about. They look so realistic and everything just looks so good. So, uh, yeah, definitely go see this film in theaters um, and then watch it again when you get home. Um, yeah, absolutely. If stream if it's out on streaming or DVD or something like that. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Racking Focus podcast. Uh, we would love for you to follow us on our social channels and connect with us there. You can find us uh, wherever we live on the internet by going to rackingfocuspodcast.com. You're not finding our location or address or where we physically live, <laughs> but just our Twitter and Instagram and all that. I needed to clarify. Well, it's important to note that if you came to the house, Alexa would tell you. I would know here. that you're here. So you're, <laughs> there's really I no reason to come. You can, uh, you can find us on rackingfocuspodcast.com. We're on Instagram at Racking Focus Podcast on Twitter at PodFocus and you can email us. We want you guys to email us at RackingFocusPod at gmail.com with any questions. Send us some sound bites if you want. If we mess something up, please let us know. Uh, we would love to correct that for you guys. And this has been a great podcast. I'm just going to just straight up and say it. We get better and better each week and this is a rock solid conversation and that means you need to share this with other people. So go to Apple Podcasts, share this to other places, leave us a review, leave a fair review so we know what's going on but give us five stars so people can access this podcast. We really care about getting the word out and letting some of these thoughts get into the larger conversation. Absolutely. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Racking Focus Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. <laughs>